This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Let me ask you a question, folks. If Jesus, at the direction of His Heavenly Father, to reveal to us the will of the Father, that's the whole reason Jesus is here on the earth. If Jesus, at the will of the Father, and to reveal His will, is willing to upend His timetable for one person who worships Him and asks for His help, how hard should it be for us to receive healing today? Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now Jesus is going to try to prove his case. In other words, he's saying right now the healing and deliverance that will eventually be available to the Gentiles, even in my earthly ministry somewhere down the road. I don't know what the timetable is. We don't have the chronology of how, how deep into Jesus' ministry this event occurred, so we can't say with certainty. Whether it's a month, whether it's a year, who knows? But even the healing and the miracle and the deliverance that will be available to her while Jesus is still here on the earth, Jesus said, right now it still belongs to Israel because they haven't completely rejected me yet. They haven't turned me out and refused to accept what the Bible says about who I am. So he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Now, what does he mean when he says children's bread? Well, she's looking for deliverance. She's looking for her daughters to be her daughter to be delivered. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. She's looking for deliverance from the work of the devil in her daughter's life. Jesus calls that the children's bread. The children's bread. The children's bread. Where does the Old Testament, and Jesus is operating under the Old Covenant. Everything prior to the cross is the Old Covenant. So Jesus is operating and ministering healing and deliverance under the Old Covenant. Where under the Old Covenant does it ever say that the Jews were God's children? Never is Israel called God's children. They're called the children of Abraham. They're called the children of Isaac and Jacob, but never God's children. Because Israel is called under the Old Covenant servants. The term children comes in where people are concerned and God is concerned only after the cross. God becomes our father. The first thing Jesus says to Mary after he's raised from the dead is tell the disciples, go tell the disciples that I go to my father and your father, my God and your God. First time ever, Jesus said, now God's your father. Now, Jesus has been telling them that God is his father all throughout his earthly ministry. But even when he taught them to pray the Lord's Prayer, what's called the Lord's Prayer, it was really the disciples' prayer, our Father which art in heaven, God wasn't their father yet. Couldn't be without the blood of Jesus. Impossible. So when Jesus says that healing and deliverance is the children's bread, who does it belong to? We know that he's using an example, but the literal meaning of the words that he uses, he's not saying that healing belongs to Israel, although in this case he's saying Israel hadn't rejected me yet, so I'm sent to only the house of Israel so far. But the children's bread that includes the healing and deliverance that Jesus is referring to, is yours, not Israel's. So Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. What a pleasant thing for him to say. It's not right to take what belongs to Israel right now and to cast it to dogs, Gentiles. But notice she doesn't get offended. Folks, please understand something. You cannot 
ever, under any circumstances, get offended at the word and expect to get results. There may be things you don't understand. A lot of things I don't understand. But I refuse to get offended in anything I don't understand. I just realize faith is a choice. Faith is not an ability. Faith is a choice. So she refuses to be offended at the word. She refuses to be offended at what Jesus called her. She refuses to be offended that Jesus said, what you're asking for doesn't belong to you yet. She refuses to be offended. She takes Jesus at his word and makes it apply to her. She says, truth, Lord. Folks, that's key number one. Everything Jesus says is true. She doesn't try to argue with him and say, well, now that's harsh. She doesn't say, Jesus, that doesn't always work that way or shouldn't always work that way. I know a lot of people that feed their dogs really well from the table scraps. She didn't try to prove her point from that standpoint. She said, truth, Lord, yet. Even the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, answers and says unto her, O woman, great is your faith. What makes her faith great? She refused to give up. She outlasted any hindrances and every hindrance in her way. And in this case, it wasn't even the devil that was in her way. It was Jesus' timetable for ministry as established by heaven. He said, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Let me ask you a question. How many other people in the coast of Tyre and Sidon believed anything? Turn with me over to Mark chapter 8. Let me show you another example real quick. Mark chapter 8. Let's start reading in verse uh, 22. And Jesus came to Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida is um, in uh, Jewish territory. But he came to Bethsaida, and they brought unto him a blind man. And he besought, and they besought him, the ones that brought him, I guess, besought Jesus to touch the blind man. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked if he saw anything. Now, I've got to turn to another verse of Scripture here real quickly to show you why Jesus took this guy out of town. Uh, let's see, let's see. Luke chapter 10, uh, 13. This is when Jesus sends his disciples out. He sends them to preach and to what and go into whatever city they, uh, they enter if they receive you. Uh, Take what's offered to you and heal the sick that are therein and say the kingdom of God has come unto you. Now, he tells his disciples what the, the situation is. Now, Luke 10 has happened before Mark 8. And here's what Jesus says about where they're supposed to go and where they're not supposed to go. Notice in verse 13. Jesus said, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they would a great while ago repented sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, thou shalt be thrust down to hell. Now, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is pronouncing curses on Jewish cities. And he says that if the same works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, now he just came from Tyre and Sidon, we just read about in Matthew 15. That was a woman, a Syrophoenician woman in the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Jesus said if the, if the cities and the regions outside of Jewish territory had the same miracles and the same healings, the Gentiles who know nothing about God, who have no profession that they care anything about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would have turned and sat, repented and turned to God in sackcloth and ashes, indicating that the Jewish cities and towns wouldn't, even though they, sound, even though they saw and experienced miracles and healings. 
So what did Jesus do? Jesus curses these cities and says to his disciples, don't even set foot in there. Don't even set foot in there. Folks, I want you to understand something. A lot of people that are looking for God to do miracles, to satisfy them, they're blowing smoke. They're whistling Dixie, as the saying goes. God gives you a chance to believe. There comes a point where God says you've had your opportunities. Either choose to believe because the word says so or reject it entirely. But you're not going to see any other works here. That's what he said in these towns. Notice Bethsaida is one of those. So back to Mark chapter 8. We'll read the story again. Verse 22. And he came to Bethsaida and they brought to him a blind man and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, by the hand and led him out of town. Why? Because Bethsaida has been cursed. Jesus is not going to do a miracle in Bethsaida. So what does he do? He leads him out of town. He ministers to him. Now, we'll get to him ministering to the guy in just a minute, and it's going to have some interesting aspects to it, at least in my opinion. You'll judge for yourself. But let me ask you a question. What would it be like to grow up in a town that Jesus has rejected? What would it be like to live in a town that had healings, had miracles, but Jesus has already cursed these cities and refused to go back into them? For the purpose of ministering. How I many he's in the city now, but he's not doing anything. Won't do anything. So now here's a guy that comes to him. And his friends beseech him or explain to Jesus, the reason we brought him to you is because we want you to lay hands on him and heal him. So Jesus leaves him out of town. If they didn't know their town was cursed before then, I think they got the message. Jesus leads him out of town. And when he gets him outside the city limits... He spit on his eyes. Now, I don't know if that had anything to do with the curse that's on the town or not. It's a different way for him to minister, isn't it? Jesus spits on his eyes and put his hands on him and asked him if he saw anything. You'll never find Jesus in another case of healing that we have recorded in the Bible. You'll never find him asking somebody if they get results. Ever. It almost sounds like unbelief. Jesus spit on him and laid his hands on him and asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And after that, he put his hands again on his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away into his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell it to anybody in the town. Make sure nobody in town finds out about this. Now, what happens? It's almost as if Jesus tries to minister to the guy to see if he has faith. Because he asked him if he sees anything. And the guy says, well, I see a little bit. I can see a little bit of improvement, but things aren't clear. Now, some people try to spiritualize this. I see ministries and stuff like that. It just, I believe it means what it says. I'm not going to try to read some spiritual meaning into it. Because he just came from a town of unbelief. And Jesus had to get him away from the unbelievers. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's for two reasons. Reason number one, we've already covered the town is cursed. And Jesus has already refused to do anything or let his disciples do anything in town. But the second reason is because unbelief will hinder you from receiving. But it doesn't stop you from believing. So Jesus gets him out of town, ministers to him, saw, saw 
realizes that he's got at least a measure of faith, maybe not a great measure, but a measure of faith to get improvement. So Jesus lays his hands on him again and commands him to look up. Commands him to look up. Notice the difference in what Jesus asked him the first time and what he told him the second time. Verse 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Do you see anything? Tell me how that's faith on Jesus' part. It's almost like Jesus expects the guy to be in unbelief. Jesus is asking, do you see anything? In other words, it's another way of saying Jesus asked him, did it work? But folks, if I ever lay hands on you and ask you if it worked, I'm trying to get you to say, uh, you to reveal whether or not you believe in something. Because if I'm really asking, did it work? Then I didn't lay hands on you in faith. And the guy's operating in a measure of faith because he got a little bit of results. He said, I see men as trees walking. And after that, Jesus put his hands again on his eyes and made him look up. In other words, he commanded him to see. He commanded him to see. Why didn't he do that the first time? Now, folks, I'm flying by the seat of my pants on some of this. You've got to realize I don't have all the answers. I got a lot of them. I got the ones that the Bible reveals, but I don't have all of them. And this is one the Bible doesn't tell us. Why didn't Jesus command him to be healed the first time? It's almost, and this is my opinion, you judge it for yourself, but it's almost as if Jesus is expecting the guy to be in unbelief. Well, he's got a good reason to expect that. If that's true, he's got a good reason for it. He's already cursed the town that the guy lives in because of their refusal to believe. He didn't have to curse Nazareth. Nazareth didn't get anything to start with. They say it is a different category. They say it is a different category altogether. Second time Jesus made him look up. He sees a little bit of faith in the midst of the unbelief. In other words, this man's faith has outlasted the unbelief of those around him. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you. And what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross. And on the cross, Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being, and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Let me show you one final example. That's over in Mark chapter 5. Just turn back a couple of pages. Mark chapter 5, we'll start over in verse 21. When Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh or next to the sea. And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. 
Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. Verse 24 through verse 30, uh, 25, excuse me, through verse 34 tells about the story of the woman with the issue of blood that interrupted Jesus on the way. We won't talk about that, but we'll pick up the story in verse 35. While Jesus yet spake to the woman with the issue of blood, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead, why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Now, I see this happening in this fashion. I see the report, your daughter's dead, and Jesus jumping in immediately, instantly, before the man has a chance to say another word, before the man has a chance to let his grief nullify his faith. Now, what is his faith expressed? Verse 23, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Well, she's crossed that point. Now, by the time we get to verse 35, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. Now, I don't think the man is saying in verse 23, I want her to be healed, but if we don't make it in time, you raise her for the dead. I don't believe that's what he means. I believe that he means heal her by laying hands on her. Come to my house and heal her by laying hands on her so that she can live a normal life and be restored to health. I believe that's what he's saying. I don't believe the thought of being raised from the dead has even occurred to this guy. He's in a hurry to get Jesus there before she dies. He knows she's close. She's at the point of death. So when the news comes in verse 35 that your daughter is dead, Jesus, in my thinking, the way that I see this working, is Jesus jumps in immediately and says, don't be afraid, only believe. In other words, don't open your mouth. Notice he doesn't say, don't feel anything. Notice he doesn't say, don't grieve He doesn't say, don't have any emotions. He doesn't say anything like that. He simply says, don't be afraid, only believe. Now, how can you stop the emotion of fear from coming? Somebody explain that to me. Words are containers. He's just heard words that contain the death of his daughter. What would those words do to anybody? It would enable panic to grip your heart. I believe the fact that Jesus said, don't be afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. I think that means Jesus recognizes the natural reaction that all of us would have, which would be fear gripping our hearts. But Jesus is saying, don't let fear change what you said. Don't let fear change what you said. Folks, remember, faith is of the heart. Fear is not of the heart unless it comes out of your mouth. The only way that fear goes from the emotion to being a part of your heart or a part of your spirit is if you speak fear. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't talk it. Whatever you feel, don't talk it. And he suffered no man to follow him. Verse 37, Savior accepted Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Jesus stops the rest of his disciples from going with him. Think on that for a little bit. Wouldn't you hate to be one of the ones that were cut out of the group? And he came to the the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeing the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they all laughed him to scorn. Now, why are they laughing? Because they know dead bodies when they see them. Jesus is speaking faith. Jesus is saying, This will not last. They took it to mean Jesus is saying, She's not really dead. Well, she is really dead. She really is dead. But faith can change even that. 
They laughed him to scorn. But when Jesus, then Jesus took action. What action did Jesus take when people laughed about Jesus' statement of faith that she'll wake and arise? What did Jesus do? He put out the unbelievers. He put out the unbelievers. Now, we just talked about several people in several situations. The woman with the issue of blood is a good example, too. We didn't cover her, but she's here in the fifth chapter as well. She's the only one in that crowd that we have evidence relieved anything when she reached out and touched Jesus. Well, she's not going to have a lot of fellowship among the rest of the people in the crowd, is she? She believed when nobody else in the crowd did that we have record of. Nobody else touched Jesus and got anything. We know that it's the touch of faith that works, not just the physical touch, which so many Christians seem to be waiting for and wanting. If only I could touch Jesus physically, then I could be healed. Well, if you touch him like most of the crowd did, you wouldn't. So we've seen the examples already in the Scripture where people without any support, without any help, without any encouragement, without anybody to prop them up or or egg them on or uh, anything, have believed and received from God. The Syrophoenician woman is an excellent example. She's got nobody. She didn't even live in a place where Jesus is being preached. And she turns out to have great faith. Folks, my point is very simply this. You can have whatever kind of faith you want to have no matter where you're coming from. No matter where you're coming from. But with that in mind, you need to realize that if you hang too closely around unbelief, if you don't overcome the unbelief that you're hearing, that faith will be diminished and destroyed. Why wouldn't Jesus raise this little girl from the dead in the face of all these unbelievers? Is Jesus worried about the unbelief of the the tumult, the people that are the professional wailers and weepers and all that kind of stuff that are in the synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue's house? Is he worried about his faith? No. He's worried about the fathers and the mothers. The father's the head of the household. He's already expressed the faith. Of the parents, Jesus knows that if you don't separate believers from unbelievers, and I'm not talking about saved and unsaved here, I'm talking about believers in the word versus doubters, then it'll affect the believers. So Jesus puts them out. Jesus puts them out. He sends them out of the house. I'm sure that was not an easy thing to do. They laughed him to scorn again, verse 40. But when he had put them all out, He took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Can I ask you a question? How are they going to keep that quiet? He just put people out of the house. Where do you think they went? They're still in the yard. They're not going anywhere. Especially when Jesus came in there and said something that sounded so foolish to them, like she's just asleep. They're not going anywhere. This is an important guy. He's the ruler of the synagogue of their town. They're not going anywhere. And Jesus charges them saying, don't tell anybody about it. Maybe he's saying, let them see for themselves. I don't know. Folks, Brother Hagin's story was that he had nobody that he even knew on the planet that preached healing. And God took one passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 5, the woman with issue of blood. We skipped over her. 
But one part where Jesus said in verse 34, Mark chapter 5, verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. And the Lord asked him a question. He said, did you notice that she was healed on her own faith? Brother Hagin said, no, I didn't notice that. Took him a while. He was still paralyzed. Took him a while, or partially paralyzed at least. He had to turn back to Mark chapter 5, and he said it took him minutes, if not hours, to get control of his hand enough to where he could slide the pages across. But he got back to Mark chapter 5, and he read in verse 34, Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. And he answered the Lord, and he said, yeah, it does say that. And Jesus said, if her faith made her whole, then your faith can make you whole. We talk a lot about unbelief being the hindrance to faith. But let me tell you something. Your faith will work even if you're having to stand all by yourself. If you'll outlast the devil. But most of our experience, and don't get me wrong, we've had some things that happened instantly and, and that type of thing. But far and away, far and away, maybe it's because of the teaching ministry I have. I don't know. I, that's another thing I don't have an answer for. But I know this. I know that far and away the majority, the vast majority of results we get have gotten personally as a church family is because we outlasted the devil. Now, I'm trying to say this right. I don't know if there's any way to really say this right, but I'm trying to do my best. I'm not lifted up in pride about anything. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly who I'm not. But there's an aspect of outlasting the devil that takes stronger faith than getting instant results. But see, we always think about it the other way around. We always think the strongest faith gets instant results. Does it? Does it really? If that's the case, then the strongest faith is a burst of faith. And then nothing else is needed. Because that's the only way that it takes to get miracles. But there's an aspect of the strongest faith being the one that outlasts the longest. You go back and look at some of the Old Testament patriarchs and some of these guys that prophesied hundreds of years down the road what would happen with the 12 tribes of Israel and that kind of stuff. That was the gift of faith in operation. The gift of faith, a special manifestation of faith. Well, by a lot of people's idea about how faith works, if the greatest faith is getting instant results, then the weakest faith would be something that lasted out that long, wouldn't it? Yet even Paul said by the Holy Ghost to prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Folks, things don't work the way that we oftentimes assume that they do. But I know this. I know that whether you have to stand alone or you've got help, your faith will see you through. But let me say it another way. If you don't have support, I wish support for everybody. I hope everybody has somebody that can encourage them in faith and help them to stay strong and stay steady. Worship God with them and glorify God before the answer comes. But even if you have to stand alone, your faith can always work. Your faith will always work. Never, ever, ever give up. Because heaven and earth will pass away, but the word will never fail. The only thing that can fail about God's word is you failing it. Because it will never fail you. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God that doeth miracles. You want to know how to get out of the doldrums or whatever term we want to put on it, that's how to do it. You start talking about who God is and start meditating on what he did before. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.